0: This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project that features artists and arts professionals discussing their work, ideas, and lives, offering listeners a forthright and unique understanding about the process, experiences, and people behind the artistic pursuit. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, long form, and unscripted. Deep Color is independently produced into a free resource for listeners. Help support Deep Color during our first ever fall winter fundraiser. We are producing and selling a limited number of t shirts featuring artwork by Episode 38 contributor Maya Ruth Lee. The shirt features an image of Maya's Labyrinth Steel Glyph Chart, which was included in the 2019 Whitney Biennial. The image holds a wonderful range of visual information, from poetic text to sharp graphics and photos of Maya's sculptures. This classic fit unisex shirt is 100% cotton, sustainably made and printed at Kingsland Printing in Brooklyn. All proceeds will go towards offsetting deep color production costs and ensure excellent future programming. To see the shirt in order, visit the shop page at deepcolorpodcast.com. Maya and I are really excited about this collaboration. We hope that you'll show support by placing an order today. This episode profiles Aaron M. Riley. Erin is a textile artist that makes large-scale, hand-woven tapestries that feature representational imagery, usually based on personal photographs, screen captures, or images she finds online. Her tapestries often depict intimate scenes or still-life arrangements that include items like rolls of cash, sex toys, flowers, and drug paraphernalia. Other works are carefully cropped self-portraits that transform her body into landscape, her tattoos into gesture. The work is incredibly well-crafted and revelatory and confronts ideas connected to addiction, the body, identity, and processing trauma. We recorded this conversation in her studio in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, sort of separating yourself from yeah. the other Aaron Rileys. Yeah. Um, I thought we could start with one of the topics that you sent me. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked you before I came over. what are some things you want to talk about? Uh, and a couple that sort of bubbled up, I thought would be fun to talk about, where you mentioned this idea of women expressing masculinity through art, and then maybe a follow up that dude art energy. Mm, you know, yeah. so these two kind of gender identity things um, and how they m- may or may not relate to each other. do you want to l- elaborate on those those ideas or maybe pick one? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I've been having sort of these, um, I went to see art the other day and, you know, hanging out with, or just starting to follow other, like, um, artists who are women but who are also queer, but who also, it's not sort of, they're not making work that's, like, identity necessarily based Um, in their work. You know, we were going to these shows and it was like, I was sort of stuck in this space of being a young girl who enjoyed quote unquote boy things, but I also felt like I was sort of trespassing. Hmm. So I was going to these shows and I was feeling that, but I wasn't totally sure if this work was done by a man, you know? And so realizing that some of the work was done by women, it was making me feel like correct in that nostalgia you know yeah yeah and um so I think yeah I think there's just like this exciting or like curious um fun that I've been seeing in a lot of work that's done by young women that's exploring these spaces that um there's like like a sensuality but also like this like I don't know, a different sort of view on boyhood that's being seen through, like, a, a woman's eyes. Yeah, uh,
0: you know, I feel like I've seen that, too, or, yeah. or felt that, and there's, there's like, an unapologetic quality to that. It, it, you know, this sort of, like, f- this is in the forefront. Uh, these tropes that we historically have sort of, these binaries that yeah. we sort of, like, categorize ourselves, and not only culturally, but aesthetically too with the objects you know or the type of art we're making Mm -hmm. yeah it seems to be like a challenge to that yeah yeah
1: yeah it just feels like it's kind of a fun space because often you know people or men think like you know women painters are like always painting like their bodies or um, specifically you know feminine things and to see work that's sort of non-gendered in a way that's really exciting is awesome you know to see that language that's you don't know and I think that's something that's really great about some of the painting that's coming out now so
0: yeah agreed Um, similarly uh, like a friend of mine texted me recently uh, and said what what's the most non-gendered object you can think of Mm -hmm. and we had a long back and forth I mean, we, you know, we need a whole another hour to talk yeah. about that. But like, I think that's a good exercise to think about yeah. objects and um, historical traditions of what, what objects associate or colors even, Yeah, you know, since we're talking about art, yeah. line up with these binaries and things like yeah, that. I yeah, I think like
1: the, you know, growing up I had two sisters and I think there was a lot of stuff that I sort of wanted. And there was like this desire and like a curiosity that's like, that it's like so sort of visceral um and also like because in a lot of ways that wasn't for for us it was like unrequited and so you in order to explore those things you had to sort of you know um sneak and so there's like this Uh, like fun like childlike thing about exploring boy things or um things that weren't necessarily like in the in the girl aisle of Toys R Us or whatever and like so I think there's this fun aspect to there's like a, in my mind there's like a lot of like in I mean it's like stereotypical but like go, going in the closet and like playing with pogs it's like you know I was you know not that I kn- knew that I was queer from a young age but I feel like I did in a lot of these ways that I'm like just now realizing
0: yeah yeah I wonder, do you think, is that sneaking that you sort of described? Do you think that's changing now for younger people growing up? Probably. Yeah,
1: yeah I think so. I think, I think things are less gendered. And I think, like, even just, um, yeah, even just names and, like, the idea that I, like, I was supposed to be a boy. And that was, like, my, I was often mistaken for a boy. And there was, like, often these sort of... um and uh, my mom was always a little bit like aw- odd about that. You know, like in the grocery store, once this old man gave me a race car, like a NASCAR race car, because he thought I was a little boy. And my mom was super like embarrassed and like slightly ashamed, but I kept that race car as this like amazing token of like my my ability to sort of transcend, you yeah. know? Yeah, So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to think about signifiers, you know, yeah. like young people with, with the length of their hair right. or the color of clothing that they wear. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of this stuff is is way more fluid now than it used to be. Totally. Which I think is a great thing. Yeah. Let's pivot into your work. Yeah. You know, we're sitting in your studio, which is the, is it the basement of your home? Yes. And and I think I read that you identify your work as tapestries. Mm-hmm. This led me down a road trying to understand the difference between a weaving and a tapestry. Mm-hmm. Can you um, can you clue in listeners on? I mean, this is very sort of for people that are in the textile world and yeah. weaving world, it's very very obvious stuff. But maybe yeah. for the people that don't know about the, these differences, can you yeah? Can so you talk about those.
1: A tapestry is a weft-faced weaving, which. Um, You know, in weaving, there's a warp and a weft or a wooft and a whatever. And people have all sorts of names. And, um, there, so with like various cloth weavings, there's different sort of structures involved with, but with tapestry, the color or the image is the weft and the warp is running straight through it. And if you're a good tapestry weaver, you never see the warp. Um... Typically, a tapestry is narrative or image-based, um, but there are tapestries that are um, more color or, you know, just like simple things. Pattern-based yeah, maybe yeah. or something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I also read, you know, you sort of mentioned this too, but the, the warp threads are um, more hidden in yes. the tapestry. Yes. So some of the, some of the craft behind it is not in view. Yeah, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and, and I was started thinking about like f- formality and like what isn't supposed to be seen versus what is seen and things like that. Is it also our tapestries? I feel like a tapestry traditionally is hung on a wall. Yeah, yeah, is that it's not fair hung to on say?
1: the yeah. It's not on the ground. That's more of a rug. Like people mm-hmm. s- uh, sometimes call my work rugs, and you know, does that drive you nuts? Not really, but like they can be rugs, but they're hung on a wall, so I think that makes them. Yeah, they're not technically rugs.
0: Yeah, I I feel like a weaving, when I think of weaving, I think of rugs. I think of blankets. I think of like home textiles, like cushions and things like that. It
1: is woven, Yeah, but a weaving is sometimes like less specific, whereas I feel like a tapestry. Yeah, I mean, it's all words, and they all sort of mean the same thing, but um, it's, it's just a matter of like, you know, it could be fiber art. It's like people say all sorts of things. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: yeah. Which is fun to talk about in yeah, this context, yeah. right? We're in the verbal pursuit. And I think right. these words are worth investigating a little yeah,
1: bit. Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: you, you, know, you mentioned that uh, images and stories are often showing up in, ta- in tapestries. Mm-hmm. And your work definitely grabs a hold of that yeah. idea and hugs it. You use sourced imagery, mm-hmm. whether it's photos that you took often of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know at times you've, you've kind of curated images from the internet, different, like threads of things or websites and just pulled images. Maybe, you know, we could talk about that curation or what what you're looking for in the initial photograph or image, you know, the components of that that you think are worth building into a a tapestry or weaving into a tapestry. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I started sort of, I was really interested in painting and images and narrative um, in college and I was painting and I was sewing into my paintings and then um, I learned tapestry and my skills were terrible. So um, a lot of the images I was making was were very silhouette ba- based, like the um, just two colors and um, working from childhood photographs and things of my sisters. And then I went to grad school and sort of ran out of physical 35-millimeter print photographs. So I started to look online and think about, like, what I was trying to think about. And, yeah, and I think back then the Internet was was sort of more of an exploratory space. Um, people were posting images that were more private. You could find um, images that weren't necessarily posed or... Um, explicitly taken for the viewer, you know, they were sort of taken, um, as these intimate photographs that someone would share of like how nice their butt looks or how nice their stomach looks. And like the idea that they forgot to clean their bathroom before they took the photograph was like something I felt was very, like, it was almost more intimate to see their bathroom than it was to see their body, you know? Yeah, because yeah, yeah.
0: There's a lot of information. Yeah, in that background. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was very um, almost honored in a way to like be able to find these spaces or these, you know, private pictures that people would post. And um, I had, I mean, society had sort of told me that it was shameful to be sexual and it was shameful to take, to document sexuality and share that because it could be used against you. And I was sort of empowered by the idea that like, They were taking pictures and it was out there, you know. So I wanted to take that document and honor it and put a lot of work into it and um, make it into a tapestry. So and I was also thinking, you know, about like the selfie, about how like interesting it is to sort of just that the idea of the self-portrait, you know, like like reflecting yourself back. Just. As like a um, project, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And I think like selfies back then were a little bit like flippant and even still today. But I think there's something so human about wanting to tell the world you're, you exist and you have a body and you um, are alive and hello, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think like for me, I felt less lonely seeing these people also putting that out there. Yeah, So
0: that's well said. I never thought of a selfie as a greeting of some sort. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're definitely, it's an engagement. Yeah. Um, but never I've never thought of it as a greeting. Yeah. I like that. Um, maybe I'll take a second to describe some of the works that I'm seeing in your okay. studio. And some of the imagery, because I think some of the imagery you have up, I would say is consistent with what I've seen of yours for the past four or five years. Yeah. Um, so it's what look like uh, pictures you've taken of yourself mm-hmm. in, in various stages of undressing. Yeah. Car, like the the aftermath of, of a car crash or something like this, some yeah. mangled uh, metal that used to be a car at some point. This one we talked about before we turned the mics on is is a, a, a flower that you grew up around. A mm-hmm. um, lady slipper. A lady slipper uh, out on Cape Cod in mm-hmm. Massachusetts. There's works over there that have text in them. They look like a section of notebook or diary. Another piece looks like a police report mm-hmm. and has that kind of really awful facts. Uh, font mm-hmm. with with like some shitty handwriting by a cop mm-hmm. and like <laughs> check marks and things like that. You know, I think of body as landscape with some of your works yep. that include your body. Um, I think of embellishment and changing the body with the tattoos that you're uh, inc- that you've got on your you've, you've put on yourself, but also are translating in your artwork. Mm-hmm. Some of these images are sexualized and have like a masturbation suggestion in them Mm -hmm. Um, so there's there's something quite revelatory and personal about the image particularly of the images that feature your body Mm -hmm. Um, and I can tie that back to this idea of a selfie letting people know that you're a person and have a body which is interesting and they're portraits too Um, you know you're often not if you do include a face the form of a face the details of the face are left out which seems intentional yeah Um, and then other things I've seen of your work are like seeing like, uh, like a still life of a roll of hundred dollar bills that, that it looks like it's part of some illicit transaction for Mm -hmm. drugs or something else. Whenever you see a large wad of cash, at least this is how I'm conditioned (laughs) from Hollywood Mm -hmm. and TV that like something semi-sketchy is going on with that money. Right. Um, drug paraphernalia, Mm -hmm. um, Menstruation fluid, tampons, mm-hmm. um, and I tie those back into these these floral imageries, uh, both in form and also conceptually. For me as a viewer, am I overlooking anything? Did I miss anything important? I mean, there's you you deal with a lot of images and yeah. a lot of like um, pretty pretty powerful topics and subjects. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to make sure I didn't forget something.
1: No, I think you covered them all. Yeah, because yeah, like for me, it's always been. Objects, figures, and landscapes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think you covered them all. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah, and then so when within that, there are some details that I, pe- uh, I pay attention to, the lighting, um, because sometimes a selfie has a flash and there's like a burst, and I'm really fascinated with how you translate the like kind of unsettling light. Of a flash, flash photography, with weaving. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really pretty remarkable. I know you hand dye all your wool, mm-hmm. so a, lot, th- of a yeah. lot of it. A lot of it. I, you know, there's something quite remarkable about that too, like how you're getting these really um, um, vibrant colors, but also some softer, toned down. Mm-hmm. Um, colors as well, especially with skin tones or like the crimsons within blood. Mm-hmm. Um, those are really quite nice. Um, the other thing I wanted to in and this is when I'll like throw it back to you, yeah. is like this, I see a really interesting connection between the pixelation of a digital image, whether it's one that you're taking with your, your camera phone or pulling off the internet, maybe the resolution is off, and how the material that you're using really welcomes that pixelation and how you're able to kind of tinker and play with that, with how weaving works as a, as a technique. Can you talk about that exchange between a pixelated image or, or an image made of pixels and lines and the lines Mm -hmm. in your weaving?
1: Yeah. I mean, early binary and, um, computer coding is very much relational to how the loom works. Um, punch card software, um, so, yeah, my looms are set at 8 ends per inch or 6 ends per inch. So, technically, they're um, 6 or 8 pixels wide per inch, um, but there is a variation going up So because the yarn is so thick. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, you know, preparing an image in the beginning there was a lot of loss. You lose details or you sort of have to accept this, these sort of steps, you know, um, of the weaving. And so in the beginning, it felt a little bit like I was losing and there was a lot of um, decisions I had to make to, to take out detail. And the more I work and the more I sort of get better at this, I'm able to work with The process and um add detail or sort of work with within the structure of the loom so there is there always will be a fuzziness to some of my lines um or sort of like a pixelation to some of my edges but um i've really kind of enjoyed telling the viewer that like a straight vertical line Will always tell you that it's woven. It'll never be perfectly straight, Um, and I think there's something special about that. You know, like there are ways to hide that that sort of weaving language, but to me, I really like I really like sort of embracing it and accepting the flaws of the medium.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go back into the idea of you know the, the the major and minor failures that happen throughout Mm -hmm. a process and how you kind of accept and surrender to those and then recover within the work and they're there. Um, Yeah, that evidence is nice to see. Yeah. Maybe we could talk about some of the ideas in your work. I know some of the subjects are identity, um, addiction. Um, There's something about the self and being revelatory and also this this thing maybe going back in back back into like you know figuring out identity as a young kid or or the, like the signifiers of those things and what what is supposed to happen only in the bathroom mm-hmm. and by yourself mm-hmm. and you don't share that with anyone. Right. Can you talk about some of these subjects and how they manifest in the work?
1: Yeah, I think um in a lot of ways like my work was always sort of this way to deal with stuff and um so I was so in a lot of ways, my work, ref- the work I'm making reflects sort of what's happening or um, what has happened and not, and often at a delay because I'm like often not emotionally ready to talk about addiction when things are, you know, flaring. So um, it's, I think about it, I sort of collect images, um, you know, I'm binging intervention so I can have the language to talk to my mom about um, what we need to do as a family. And, um, and so in those situations, I collect screenshots and then they're put into my folder and, um, sort of added to the queue. And yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, when you say, sorry, when you say oh, yeah. folder,
0: like a desktop folder, yeah, I have like, a two okay. weave folder <laughs> yeah, 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 on your computer. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: And so like right now there are like 13 number ones in that folder like of what i'm weaving next but who knows what i'll actually weave next um but i've always sort of kept a two weave folder and um yeah so i think like watching the news or um hearing about abuse or um like the me too movement or you know sort of talking about things with people and sort of experiencing things there's like these themes that i'm thinking about and i've also really lately been thinking about like um my childhood and the things or the stories that um got me here you know yeah 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 so i think like um it's all it all really relates to each other whether or not it makes sense But I think like my work has always been that way. It's always been I just make stuff and then then I figure it out, you know, like then I see it in a group and it starts to make sense. Like six months later, the work will make sense. And I think like, um, you know, in school, you're so focused on like, why did I make this piece? And so for me, it's like I'll make a body and then I'll make a car crash and then I'll make like a flower or some still life and they may not all relate to each other, but they do sort of add to a narrative that in my mind makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely see a through line yeah. from these different images that on the surface are unrelated, but you know, through the material and through the, through your lens as an artist and how you're cropping, mm-hmm. um, and how you're presenting these images and even, you know, some of the, uh, consistency in the, the color dialogue that we talked about yeah. with how you're hand dyeing some of your wool. Um, I see a, a through line aesthetically and, and technique wise, mm-hmm. but even just like attitude and spirit, there's a consistency in terms of this, this seriousness of, mm-hmm. of the subject matter, um, maybe a little bit of nihilism mm-hmm. within the subject matter, um, maybe a little, little bit of danger Yeah, for uh, sure. in the subject matter, but also like this the sense of beauty in a way in how you're presenting these things and yeah. also how you're making these things. Like, let's not forget that. Yeah. So I like, yeah. uh, I like that strange stew that you're putting together <laughs> yeah. for me as a viewer. It's really quite nice. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your process. Cause I know, um, you know, like there's a huge weaving community out there and mm-hmm. me as someone who has never made or a, a weaving or worked on the loom outside of the small, like desktop one I do with my nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in my research of your work, you, you draw what you call a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that drawing and how you turn that drawing, how you translate that cartoon into one of these tapestries?
1: Yeah. Because um, there's
0: no digital... No. Anything. I think that's no. important to mention. There's no
1: planning, no pre-planning necessarily. And
0: when I mean digital, like you're, there's not a, you're not like submitting an image to some <laughs> fabricator and their robot is making the taps. Right. So you're doing this all by hand. Yeah. We got to mention that.
1: Yeah, it's all done by hand, and often sometimes people come to my shows and they're like, "Where does, where is this being made?" You know. And I, you know, I think there's um, like an energy to textiles that if you know. Which I'm sure painters have that feeling, too, with paintings, that they know the physicality behind it, and so they sort of feel it in their body and their bones. Um, so, like, when I see textiles, a lot of the times I can sort of feel this vibration. Um, so, yeah, my work is made super traditionally, technically, and um, it's made with wool, and sometimes I use acrylic if I'm wanting to t- get, like, fluorescence, Um But I work with an image, I sort of agree with myself that I'm gonna weave the image, and then I used to print it out like eight and a half by 11, trace it on clear, and then use an overhead projector, old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So.
0: Trying to get it very accurate. Well. Or close to accurate. Just
1: like, it would just add it a step, so, but what was nice about that is that I have this folder full of these um, clear acetate sketches. And, but now I just go image to digital projector. Mm-hmm. So there's no intermediator. I just like trace the image to scale. So if I'm working like a hundred inches wide or 48 inches wide, I just trace it to scale. And then-
0: On, on what looks like butcher paper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just like craft rolled, paper. Rolled craft yeah. paper.
1: Yeah. Um, I just upgraded to white, which is like a whole new world. White yeah. paper. Yeah, As yeah. opposed yeah, to brown. I brown yeah. forever. <laughs> Um, which is fine, but you know, there's you get a lot more, you can see it better on white.
0: Um, yeah, and the, the colors are going to register different while you're making, too, right. against white That's versus true. a brown surface. That's true. Yeah, the ground is everything sometimes. Yeah. This is my painter yeah. language coming in. Yeah. No,
1: that is true. Yeah, well, in undergrad, I used to use like yellow or pink warp all the time, just like because it was more fun to order. And a lot of my work photographed really warm, you Mm. know, it had this like this pink fuzz to it. So now I just use um, natural. And um, so, yeah, the cartoon is temporary and it's just really for scale. But when I'm making the work, it's all very much like like negotiating with myself, like where does this color start? How is it going to be blended together? there's a lot of prep work. So if I'm working on like asphalt, I'm thinking about gray and like, what is gray? And, you know, is there oil stains and like, where does it go more blue or, you know, reddish? So I mix a lot of my yarn um, way before I even start weaving and sort of pull out all the colors and think about what the work is going to look like. And then and things change as I'm going, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of, sort of, you know, if I'm, if it's a road scene, I think about the main color, mm-hmm. and then the other stuff kind of happens. Around that, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Just for a little bit more information, since I'm looking right over your shoulder at one of your looms here, it looks like the drawing, and we talked about this before, before we turn on the mics, mm-hmm. the drawing is sort of rolled up underneath um, what you're weaving and you're using the drawing as a map and sort yes. of filling it in right to left, yes. With do we call it yarn? Yeah, we yeah. call it yarn. Yeah. Okay, yeah. with the <laughs> the, left, the, yeah, weft, the weft, the the weft yarn, and that those the lines of your drawing are demarcating where the color starts right. and continues and stops and then changes color, and then over time the image appears. Yep. So this is not like how printing works no, in a lot no. of ways right yeah. i mean i'm just trying to think of a analogy for listeners right. to sort of picture how this thing kind of comes out and they yeah. can look on your website yes. and instagram feed yes. to see like these wonderful time lapse videos too
1: yeah so some weavers weave straight across so they'll weave every single step and beat it but i weave in these like hills and mountains and valleys or whatever so eccentric weft weaving so um my work at one point or another will not be straight across um will probably never be straight across and then until the end until the last line where I make everything straight and then I weave a hem so um yeah there's a lot of mess and then it becomes it gets all reined in and
0: it must be exciting to see to come together yeah i mean it's kind of slow in front of you but as it sort of builds
1: yeah i get this like anxious like that feeling when you're hungry and you just want to get food and at the very end when i draw that line i get i like won't sleep because i just like want to finish but then once i finish i get a little bit like empty and then i have like no purpose Mm -hmm. and then i have to start the next one or i want to start the next one so and a lot of my work, I weave all in one w- on one warp. So there's work I'll make, and I won't see it for a month or two. And um, eventually, I'll take the whole warp off and unroll the p- the pieces that I've been making. So is that a um, surprise?
0: Like, oh, it worked out? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Often I'm not so happy, but I think um, the work always grows on me. Yeah. Yeah. Or I learn something from it. So.
0: Sure, I know that feeling. You know, it's really, you know, the translation from image or photo to drawing Mm -hmm. to weaving. I mean, it's it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the results that you're getting, you know, it's it's photographic. Mm -hmm. um, And there's an accuracy. Yes, there's some change and some Mm -hmm. variation. But um, that progression is really nice. Do you know what they're going to look like before you start them?
1: Not necessarily. I think I know, like... If I know it's a good tracing, like if I know the outline is good, that's how I used to sort of judge if I wanted to weave something was I would trace it. And if I liked that outline, I could tell I would like the tapestry. But now I can sort of tell if the image is simple enough that it can like translate well. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I imagine, you know, I've talked, I've, I've spoken with other people that work with textiles. And uh, something that comes up is this idea of ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine that sort of has a place in your practice, this repeated motion. Yeah. This investment in labor and time. These take you incredible amounts of time to realize. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about this act- physical action as ritual and maybe some of the things that occupy your mind while you're going going through this, this epic journey to, to make one of these?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of like, um, obsession and repetitiveness and also that like physicality in the body. So you're, you're, I'm using my feet and my arms and there is this like whole bodily engagement. Um, and often the mind is the most, is the thing you have to fight against because you're you're physically able to sit there and do it, but sometimes if you're distracted, that's the struggle. So I try to make sure I have everything that I'm about to weave, and then I can sort of sit there and not have to get up and change. Um, But, yeah, I think there's like this readiness that I've gotten used to, sort of having to have all my things and um, not be so mentally distracted um yeah it just gets you just get used to that yeah focus is huge yeah yeah and I don't know that I necessarily do anything I, d- I do know that there are things I do when I'm not focused you know like there's prep that I do that I tell myself oh this is productive but it's mostly because I'm not ready to weave yet and like I need to sort of get I need to wake up or I need to um have that drama in my head quickly mm-hmm. for a couple hours and or watch a or watch a show that I really want to watch with my eyes and not with my ears. Right. Um and so there's like a lot of things that I do um just sort of ready myself. And then there's times when I just can weave and it's like a reason to just engage. So are you able to
0: get lost while you're making these? I mean, I know focus isn't, we just talked about focus, but what about the opposite of that? Do you, do you look up and suddenly eight hours went by and like, what just happened? There's definitely
1: areas where I get like Is it cathartic making these? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like there's areas, yeah, where I'm, where I am, I get hot, you know, it's like physical. And so I'm like, I'm just like feeling it. And there's like this rhythm and um, yeah, there's definitely times when I get lost and excited about spaces areas
0: you know maybe we could do a little bit of biography okay uh, we, we we connected earlier we, we both realized we're from new england i'm from new hampshire mm-hmm. you're from massachusetts uh specifically cape cod Cape cod. um do you remember what your introduction to art was as a kid growing up on cape cod like what was the first thing that sort of presented itself as art to you or someone showed you like this is art
1: yeah i was actually thinking about this recently with a friend who sort of said they grew up with no art. And um, I was sort of the same way, but uh, I was ref- like thinking about how, like my mom would stencil our bedrooms or there was like this idea that we could choose our room color. There was like, there were these subtle um, creative, you know, we would buy the furniture that was just raw pine and we could decorate it. So I think there was a creative, um, there were creative elements but i necessi- i didn't like you know like being irish catholic and being tough you know and there was not really like a lot of expression expression wasn't a thing that was valued um in any way um so the idea that you would make things to say something was not something we talked about or um that was encouraged that sensitivity so i think um learning about art was in high school and um having like I had a a really cool art teacher a couple art teachers you know I distinctly remember asking in freshman year what phallic meant and sort of having to have that embarrassment during the Salvador Dali um, lecture and um just sort of starting to understand like you know sexuality in art or um what's possible you know and I always kept a diary and I o- there was a moment when the diary was read by my mother so um when I was young when I was like in middle school I stopped keeping a diary and I started making collages and I started keeping a sketch journal so um and I started talking in code and I started cre- having these sort of creative ways to talk about my sexuality or my experiences without naming my experiences as a, as a form of privacy.
0: You had code words for it. Yeah. Oh, interesting.
1: So, yeah. So I did start these sort of journal sketchbooks early on and, um, that I would write so much in high school as a way of just keeping myself busy or, um, yeah. So I think like, the idea that art was important in a lot of ways I think it was more just like the survival mechanism um nobody really told me it was valued or that there was any um future necessarily like financially it was more like um we would we would have these college lectures you know people would come in from different colleges and say come to this college and
0: in high school, you mean? Yeah, in high oh, right, school. Right, right. Like the art, de- the art department from that college would come and give yeah. a presentation to juniors and seniors in high school. Yeah. I remember these. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so, like, they weren't they weren't selling the dream. They weren't saying like you're going to have a job or you're going to have this, but it was basically saying to a bunch of kids who, you know, are either going to work at restaurants every summer and work a crappy job through the winter it's that there are other things in the world and I think like for me I never went to art school with any idea that I would survive but I went to art school thinking that I could have I could have something that was for me and that um, yeah I think I don't know I don't think I would have gone to school if it wasn't for those those lectures because I don't, no one else was telling me college was important or yeah. that like college was a thing that you could have, yeah. you know, or that was had any value, right. Right. Um, so.
0: I, I, I can identify with that someone yeah. who grew up in a small town. Yeah. I mean, there was art in our home. The idea of chasing or pursuing a career mm-hmm. as an artist or professionalizing myself, was mostly abstract at that age yeah and to be honest still kind of is (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but uh uh yeah i mean those high school years are important with like the the inputs you get these people that are coming to talk about the savannah art school or um mass art yeah or whatever you know um those are huge yeah i'm glad that they exist yeah same um i thought you know we could do a little fun exercise okay and this is continuing the thread of biography and Cape Cod specifically. (laughs) I wanted to, to, to ask some multiple choice questions about Cape Cod.
1: Okay, great.
0: Um, again, these are kind of fun. Um, question one, what's the best slash worst song about Cape Cod? Oh God. Is it, I'm just going to give you a few choices. Okay. Is it a rock and roll band by Boston? Do you know that song? (laughs)
1: yes yeah, dancing in the street yeah, of honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I hate taurus by The Freeze, which is a punk band yes, from the 80s I know. from Cape Cod. Yeah, yeah, um, Or Cape Cod Quasa quassa by Vampire Weekend.
1: What's the worst? Best slash oh, best. worst. So I'll let
0: you choose but if it's I the best like or worst. But I like isn't
1: there um, the Pina Coladas song
0: by Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, is it that, that about on Cape, on Cape Cod?
1: God? No, maybe mm, not.
0: It just plays on every it's American on beach. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um I think probably the first one. Boston. Yeah. Is it uh,
0: is the best or the worst? I don't
1: I don't
0: know. Yeah. It sort of goes back and forth, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah.
1: There's a there's a few that are like talking about Main Street. Yeah, there's It's all It's all Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a genre in yeah, itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, question 2. Which bridge would you rather drive on during the 4th of July holiday? The Bourne Bridge? A, the Bourne Bridge. Yeah. B, the Sagamore Bridge. Or C, something my brother once said, fuck that shit, I ain't going to the Cape on the 4th.
1: <laughs> I, um... Well, as somebody who loved driving in rotaries and could kill a rotary from a very young age... Um, I really enjoyed the Sagamore Bridge, but I worked at a fish and chips place, so there was no way I wasn't working on the 4th of July. Right, right, right.
0: Yeah, that was a little, like, salute to the traffic, holiday summer traffic on Cape Cod and the Bridges. (laughs) Um, Last question. Which of these stories are false? Mm. A, actor Marlon Brando auditioned for A Streetcar Named Desire, at Tennessee Williams Summer Home in Provincetown. B, figure skater Nancy Kerrigan trained in Dennis, which is a town on Cape Cod. Mm -hmm.
1: That's true. I know that's true.
0: Or C, football player Tom Brady has a ceramic studio in Truro.
1: (laughs) I feel like that one's false. (laughs) You are correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Tom Brady does not, as far as I know, does not have a ceramic studio in Truro.
1: Leonardo DiCaprio is doing ceramics. Is it? I feel like, I don't know if Tom Brady's in it with them. Probably. They're Maybe. all probably hanging out yeah, somewhere. Right.
0: Being kind of ding-dongs together. Yeah. Edward Hopper did have a painting yeah. studio in Truro. That's yeah. pretty public knowledge. Anyways, yeah. I thought that would be fun.
1: Yeah, the Cape is a really interesting, I mean, I, Providence Town has, you know, the big residencies, and there's so much history about the Cape. It's cool.
0: You know, we're sitting in your studio. I mentioned at the front that we're in the basement of your home. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some of the benefits of a home studio are kind of obvious, right? There's mm-hmm. not much commute. Yep. Uh, impu- you can play into impulse or the moment. Yes, like if you yes. feel it, you're there already. You don't have to travel to a stu- studio. Um, your overhead is dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some, some fun tax stuff you can do in terms of write off right. of space. But maybe you could talk about some of the challenges of a home studio. If there are yeah. any, or are you completely comfortable with a home studio?
1: I think what is hard is that um, having people over in a social setting, it's almost like I'm always having studio visits in a way that I, like, that I don't want, you know?
0: Right, like when just a friend comes over, yeah. you just wanna sit around.
1: Yeah, there's yeah. no like, designated downtime you know there's no like um there's no like disappearing from my work or like um yeah so I think that's sort of the thing but uh, yeah there are times when I can't sleep at night and um I can go to work at three in the morning and I can just weave for four or five hours and um yeah and I think like my life the way I've always sort of built it and I'm single and um my work is sort of has always been my main focus in life for better or for worse. Um, it's the thing I like doing the most so. yeah
0: yeah yeah I think it's one of the nice things about a home studio is um, you know there's not really a separation between life and art yeah and I'm, I don't yeah. necessarily think there should be right I get caught sometimes I mean it's it's a few other things besides the studio yeah, separate right. from my home. But I'm an artist when I'm in my, in my studio, I'm something else when I leave. Yeah. And you know, there's that sort of falls apart a little bit when you're when you're living above your studio or right. in your studio, right. so um you could use that to your advantage perhaps. You know, we we find ourselves operating in the contemporary art world. I do think your work sort of transcends scene in a lot of interesting ways. There's craft components to it. Um there's illustrative components to it, not that illustration can't be part of contemporary art, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's its own little universe within the world of art. Acknowledging that we're in the contemporary art world, is there anything that you would change about it?
1: Well, I think there's like a, um, like commodifying trauma without actually talking about trauma in a productive way. There's like, um, there's a lot of like underlying issues that, um, people talk about without talking about, you know, I think, um, my work, you know, dealing with addiction or, um, it's cool that like Nan has been, Nan Golden has been talking so much about opioids and, but it still feels like that's ostracized or talking about sexuality, it puts you in a box, you know, I think there's like our identity or race or, um, gender, like there's often people want to label things or like make things as small as they can be and i simplify simplify right exactly so i think like
0: which is a disservice i think yeah because these things are complex yeah yeah. Yeah.
1: because i think like so much about the art world is that it's all happening at once we're all sort of are you know like currently a lot of the work is happening at once and so what does that say about it each other it doesn't just because work looks different doesn't mean it's not related in any way and that it doesn't have a lot of similarities and just because work looks alike like like that two people are making work about selfies like that doesn't mean they have anything in common at all so I think like there's um a sort of oh people don't take the time to really like think about the work in a way that's really sensitive and like considering why artists make the work Mm -hmm. and I I'm guilty of that too I think sometimes you know I see a piece and I don't necessarily get it but then I um spend time looking at that artist's work or their Instagram or the the processes behind it or the failures behind it and I start to really um respect and understand how it got there? Yeah, that's
0: that's well said. Spending time with the work. Yeah, and yeah. And having some patience and not dismissing it right away. Right. I wonder sometimes if, you know, the uh, c- contemporary life is nudging us towards this this sort of the, this quick pace Quickness, and yeah. technology. I mean, that's obvious, right? And how we digest images. So it's nice to hear that. Like. Yeah. I like this idea of slowing things down a little bit. I, yeah. I don't think you're alone in feeling that way. Do you feel differently about your work in here versus when it leaves here, like in a gallery or something? Mm-hmm. Is there, a, does it change in a way for you at all?
1: I don't think so. No? No. Because yeah. I think it's like, there's a lot of sort of crossing barriers about like posting it on Instagram or posting it, on my putting it on my website. There's often, I put a bunch of stuff on my website and it feels scary. Like that's how it was my, always sort of my practice was I was, I would make work to photograph it, put it on my website. And I don't have a lot of traffic on my website, but it was always sort of just like a way to like it was finalized and sort of inventoried and um that fear of the work I often have fear of my work, but um it's mediated by these sort of pulses out into the world and i'm a I'm sort of able to um just assume that people have seen it, even if they haven't seen it, and therefore they've sort of judged it or, you know, dismissed it, and it's already happened, and I don't have to worry about
0: it. Yeah, yeah, I know? mean, we're talking about audience here, right? Because yeah, yeah. in here, yeah. it's an audience of one, and, right. and me, or right. whoever else is coming in here. Yeah. When it leaves here, you post it, Yeah. now it's it's out there, right. and there's some vulnerability that comes with that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's we're not saving lives, and it's not you know, humanitarian work, but there's some courageousness and bravery that comes with putting something that you spent hundreds of hours on. Mm -hmm. And it's like this uh, monument to an experience. Yeah, sure. Or uh, uh, like a, like a piece of a a private story that you're sharing. Yeah. And you're putting it out there. And I think that takes some bravery. So like, I want to mention that real quick. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been often, well, lately, I've been wanting to sort of write Write more because I think um, I have a lot to say and so I think there's this making the work but then also not knowing having the words yet so there's this like crossing in between of like here's this piece but my art like the artist statement or the um, quote-unquote explanation is not necessarily ready and I think um, so there has been a sort of slowness recently about putting work out because I have been really exploring what it actually means and like what, why I'm making the work I'm making. So, um, but I think, yeah, like having, having a built in, um, sort of system of people seeing the work and feeling those feelings of rejection or, um, where normally you would only have that in an application process or like a, um, a curator or just being ignored simply Um, choosing to put the work out there and engage or sort of ask for approval or disapproval um, allows you to soften that. And I think art school helps with that too. You know, it's like you're constantly being told by your peers that you're like boring or like redundant or, and I think derivative. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like this reminds me of so-and-so and I think there's something so great about art school that um, as much as it hurts, like I think there's something so good about being resilient in those early ages and like learning that toughness and like having to prove or having, like I think on my last day of grad school, I realized that like I was fighting with myself in a room full of people and it was like their job to, to help me fight with myself and that like in the long run, I just had to say I wanted to do this stuff and I didn't actually need to have a paragraph of why. Um, so yeah, I think there's like this, the struggle and wanting to be wanting to have the words, but often not having the words. Yeah, I'll back that. Yeah. I mean, I,
0: I really do believe also in making something. And even if you don't have, you know, the little like elevator pitch yeah. for it or the artist statement or the blurb ready. Yeah. It, that doesn't matter. I think making a thing and sharing it if you want to. Is right. uh, is enough, yeah. and and we can our brains can catch up with our hands yeah. later,
1: yeah. Uh, or but, not sharing it, you or know, not keeping sharing it right, keeping it private, yeah, yeah. And allowing it to make sense a year from now or six months from now, because often the work needs some time and needs another piece to tell you why you made that
0: piece, yeah, yeah. Or changing what yeah. it means, yeah, a year from now, yeah. I mean, that's our sure. right as the maker and as the artist, yeah. I think that's important to remember too, yeah. You know, I often think about this this pursuit of art and a Mm -hmm. life in the art and trying to earn a living in art and blending those two things together, sort of what we've been talking about this last little bit. And I ask myself what I'm chasing. What am I after? What's the end goal? or Or what's the motivator? Um, Is it to make a the next piece stronger than the last one I made or is it something else. Is it fame and fortune? I've, I've sort of gotten, I'm old enough now where those, <laughs> those aren't the attractive bits anymore, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if it feels like a chase for you and when you're satisfied as an artist and when you're happy as an artist, or yeah. is it something else?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing because um, for many years it was the survival thing. It was, you know, I have five student loan payments every month and I have to figure out how to do that puzzle of making my ends meet. And you know, as I get older, it's, you know, been 10 years of being out of grad school and I've paid off the little ones and I'm starting to pay off the big ones and it's like what do I want? Yeah, like if I if there is ever a future without student loans, what do I want from that future? And I don't know that I know that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm like I'm a little bit scared to even think about what I want because I may never have it, you know? So, um, I think that everything is temporary. You know, I think we should never sort of, any successes should be reveled in and appreciated, but it's not, we aren't owed anything, and I, you know, in life for anything. Um, And I think, like, for me, I've always just sort of been amazingly appreciative and um and responsible with my money (laughs) like I'm not like blowing it because it's gonna keep coming you know I'm like I'm like making strategic decisions to pay off my credit cards because I may have to use them you know in a couple months so I've always been very realistic about my goals or like my dreams you know like so yeah I think I'm just gonna keep making art until I have to get a job. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. been it's been a couple of years without a quote unquote job, and um, it's been good. Um, there's hard times and good times, and then yeah, just enjoy it while it's good.
0: Sounds about right. What's the last great piece of culture that you experienced? Maybe it's a hmm. film or a book you read. Oh, Does anything come come hmm. to mind?
1: Well, I just watched this movie uh, when I came back from Freeze, London, called Booksmart, which is, like, this teenage, like, like high school movie. And it was, like, there was, like, there was a gay storyline. Like, the tomboy was actually gay. And it was, like, I was, my mind was being blown as, like, a 34-year-old girl who grew up as a tomboy and, like, was slightly gay. And it was, like, I was sitting there just, like, Go like my mind was being blown by the idea that this is what young queer people are seeing as a as a movie that's just a regular ass movie and um I don't know th- if that's necessarily culture, but oh, and I went to Scotland and looked at um tapestries at Dovecott Studios and climbed this sort of mountainish thing called Arthur's Peak, and it was kind of kind of just like an amazing. Strange experience before I went to London. So it's great. Yeah. yeah.
0: I've seen Book Smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, Ugh. it's, uh,
1: twists and turns. It's
0: funny. Yeah. The acting and writing the is music's good. great. But you're right. It's like this. I mean, maybe we can, we can bridge that all the way back to some of the stuff we're saying, talking yeah. about the beginning in terms of you don't have to be so secretive yeah. about this stuff anymore. And it's normalized in a wonderful way. I mean, I yeah. don't like that word normalized, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. um, it's pop. Yeah. Um,
1: there are twists and turns where you think, yeah. like, the, cr- the the gay crush will just end up being a dead end, but then there's, like, a twist that you're, like, you don't see, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, there's a happy ending for the gay kid, and it's like, what? <laughs> this never happened. And
0: the gay kid's not some bit side role. Right, right. It's a she's, main character. She's the yeah. protagonist, right. I believe.
1: Yeah, it's a really, Yeah. it's been kind of amazing to see how, you know, like, euphoria and, like, I really enjoy pop culture as a way of ex- people sort of, you know, reality TV and like all of these things that people um, show their experiences and how we can all sort of learn from each other's experiences. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Last question. Mm-hmm. What's on the horizon? Yeah. More work, something yeah. else, adventure?
1: Yeah, I've been trying to travel more um I never used to travel. I used to sort of get very anxious, so I've been tra- I'm going to um Berlin and Seoul um coming up and um teaching in a couple years actually, which um I don't teach very often, but um it's a cool opportunity and What type of class? It's a weaving class. Okay. Um tapestry class in North Carolina, in Penland. Um TBD. So, um yeah it's it'll be cool it's i'm always i always get very nervous teaching but it's something that i really like to do um and i'm getting better at it yeah so um i'm trying to slowly but surely like find my that like not so nervous in front of people um yeah and more work making bigger work and i have a solo show at um, PBOW in 2021, you know, so there's like a lot, a lot going on, but not necessarily right now. Right, right.
0: So You're busy in healthy ways, it sounds like. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, Aaron, I appreciate you inviting me over to your, your space and your generosity in this conversation. It's been really great to speak more in depth about your work and learn about it. And you know, I should have mentioned this earlier, but, you know, you're you're prolific. The amount of work that you make and the dedication here really comes through in the work, and it's really nice to see. So, thanks, thanks. for participating in this project.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings. Be sure to share this project within your community and subscribe and rate in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening and check back soon for a new episode.